Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin wins more national and international cheese awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Why Food. I'm your co-host, Ethan Frisch. And I'm Jenny Dorsey. And this is our sixth sixth episode, I think, of the fourth season. Um, thanks for joining us. We are interviewing Diana Dauhung from Black Seed Bagels. She's the executive chef and head baker of Black Seed Bagels, uh, which is a, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong and we can talk about it that later, but a Montreal-ish, Montreal-style uh, bagel Montreal-inspired. Oh, excellent. Like <laughs> okay. Um, New York's first and maybe only Montreal-inspired mm-hmm. bagel place. Um, well, I don't want to say the first. There, there was one spot in, in uh, Brooklyn a while ago, like maybe five years ago, but okay. they shut down. So. But, okay, so but New York's now, currently best, best only. <laughs> um, well, thanks for joining us, Diana. Uh, and we're going to dive in, start our interview the way that we always do, which is what was your aha moment? You'd worked in advertising before before going to culinary school. And tell us about that transition. What, when did you realize that you had to, had to work in food? Yeah, so I was in advertising for about four and a half, five years. And, you know, I was, I was hitting a point where I was telling myself, all right, so I either stick with advertising or this is the time to really jump ship and start doing something else. Uh, I was in my mid-20s, and I feel like, you know, when you start to see 30 upon the horizon, you're just like, all right, I, <laughs> yeah. I need to figure out something fast. Um, you know, and I, I was stuck in a lot of luxury brands, which... You know, if you know me, I don't I don't really wear branded clothes. I just really am a very simplistic style. So, you know, my heart just wasn't into it. And unfortunately, with strategy, you know, you do a lot of focus groups. You do a lot of studying of how people actually use materials and things they purchase. And when you take that information and you try to utilize it to essentially at the end of the day sell a product, it gets to you, you know, mm-hmm. you're like, why am I trying to be this evil person and brainwash people into purchasing things they don't need? Do they really need that new Fitbit or whatever is the next um, item? So I really just analyzed my life and took a, took a step back. I, um, you know, went back and did some serving just to pay the bills because I didn't really even save because, again, it, it wasn't. It wasn't over time. It wasn't like five years of saving money knowing I was going to transition. It literally happened probably within a good four months because, you know, I I got yelled at for something and, you know, my heart wasn't into it anymore. And I was just like, screw this. Uh, You know, I'm I'm very much an Aries. I just really (laughs) change, you know, change and take action right away if something is not good with my life. So I just took action. And like I said, I didn't save any money or anything. So I, I just went and served and I really was just like, all right. You know, cooking wasn't apparent at first. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I, I want to be a chef. I should do that. I just really was like, well, what do I enjoy doing? You know, I enjoy art, I enjoy music. But cooking was something that I was like, wait a minute, I already have this skill set just from, you know, my mother teaching me from like the day I could even hold a utensil. So probably like by the age of three, I think I was starting to help my mom in the kitchen. And I was just like, all right, well, let's go see what culinary schools are out there. And my roommate at the time went to French culinary school and they were doing a little orientation, gave us a little um, free lunch. And she's like, I think you should do this. I think this is a total doable thing. And at first, I I didn't know which program to do, either the whole culinary program, which is a little bit more expensive, or be a little bit cheaper, but be more honed into something that I really... Um, didn't know very well. So I, I went in the pastry program, not necessarily because my love for pastries, I went into it because that was my biggest weakness. I'm like, mm-hmm. if I'm going to pay this much for school, I want to learn something that I have no idea about. And I never want to ever be in anything that I have a weakness in. So a lot of chefs, um, 
particularly a lot of French chefs I know are fearful of baking oh, pastries. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah, they won't even, you know, tr- you know, they won't even do a box cake cause that's how scared they are, you know? <laughs> so I was like, all right, I- I'm going to learn everything if I'm going to do this. So I went into pastry and yeah, from there I just started cooking. So cool. a fun fact about box cakes. Did you know that they don't <laughs> actually need the egg? Apparently, they didn't sell very well, and then some marketing genius was like, you know what, they're not selling because moms don't want to like just throw this cake in the oven and with water and bake it. So then he was like, oh, "Oh, add an egg, and then like sales exploded. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. (laughs) Now I'm going to have to go just try that just because you said that. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Um, So after you uh, went into culinary school and started doing pastry and baking, like, can you talk a little bit about like the, how your love for breads kind of came about through that process and how you feel about bread now? Yeah. So, um, you know, typical culinary school program, you do chapters, you know, so one chapter is about chocolate. love chocolate but I hated working with it it's super messy it kind of gives a little weird stink after you heat it up for a while and I just I just hate crazy mess even though you know bread bread does become very messy and then I went into the cake thing and I was like oh this is fun decorating I, I I enjoy it but it was just a little too delicate for me and then once the the bread program hit I was like oh, whoa this is so science-based this is such like a living organism it changes from hour to hour from minute to minute and it was something that I felt like you know there were so many um qualities that you needed to have and to also learn about bread itself that I was like okay this this in particular is something that I want to specialize in because again that that science fact and also the fact that it, it changes so frequently and it's a living thing you know people forget that the yeast in it is essentially an organism that's constantly, for lack of a better word, farting. You know, that's how you get those nice bubbles and that that nice fermentation smell from from bread. So I think, um, yeah, just the science. I I love science, so that's kind of the main reason. (laughs) And and could you break down for us uh, the differences between a New York and a Montreal-style bagel? Yeah, of course. So... Um, again, I just want to reiterate because my partners will appreciate this. <laughs> Black Seed itself is definitely more of a New York bagel with a nod to Montreal. So uh, New York bagels are definitely a little bit more um, fluffier, a little bit bigger in size, a little bit of a smaller hole. Montreal's are definitely more on the, the pretzel spectrum. Um, they're going to be smaller and thinner in size um but the biggest thing that we take from them is the wood oven and the honey that's a huge montreal thing but our dough is definitely more of a new york dough is it a specific kind of honey uh no i mean we we try to do our best with with you know because the thing too with the bagel especially in new york is you got you have to keep it cheap um you know at, at lunch i think you mentioned something about you know, people understanding that they need to pay more money for a higher premium yes. product. That's definitely a huge thing that, you know, Black Seed itself, and I'm sure as these fancier bagel shops open, that's something that we've ha- had trouble conveying to people that, you know, we're expensive, more expensive than your local Brooklyn bodega bagel because we use King Arthur flour, we use honey, mm-hmm. we we pay more for our bakers and our labor and the wood itself costs money, you know, so. And does the, does the do you get a, a taste of the wood in the bagel itself? Can you taste the, the wood fire? If anything, the wood fire, it's not in, it's not like smoking a pig for, for 16 hours, so you don't get a huge hint of it, you know, you're not like, oh, this is apple wood or anything like that. You really just get a, a initial, um, hint of it in your nose and then it kind of goes away so it's a slight hint. if anything it's it's the texture that probably um affects the wood fire more or it gets affected by the wood fire more How i should so? say um it's just that it's the ambient heat and the light heat um that affects it and also most new york bagels use something called a fish oven so you kind of just stick in your bagels and it rotates on its own but with um this wood oven it's more like a pizza oven so we actually start them off on these wood planks and then pop them off onto the actual hearth itself 
and then that hearth mixed with the the, um, um, the ambient heat and the light heat that the wood gives off gives it a little bit more of a crusty texture on the outside. And and on that note, uh, <laughs> Diana brought some some bagels yeah. for us to try. So hopefully we don't make too many gross chewing noises. I was going to say, is, is this going to be an awkward uh, sound bite on the podcast? <laughs> I, I don't radio. want anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. All right, so Jenny's got a sesame Oh, yeah, sesame I don't think you guys bagel, are going right? to... It's a bagel, so it's not going to be like a baguette. You should okay. just bite into it. Okay, okay. <laughs> Jenny, bite real close to the mic. Okay. okay. Yeah, you don't get... I don't think you heard any. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you don't hear anything. Well, they they look great. They're like craggy and and you can see the the hand rolled quality in them. Yeah, really mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great and that's drum. something that we definitely try to um, keep. Kind of OG is you know, I, I tell people because I teach a lot of bagel classes itself. So we definitely you know the hand rolled and again that wood fire. I think that's the one thing I love about black seed most is that we still bake with a wood fire. It's I know it's it's definitely on trend, but it um is something that's unique and special to us as yeah. far as bagels go. You know? Well, I mean, I guess it was traditional and stayed traditional in some places, and in other places, is making a exactly. comeback. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, exactly. I'm over here busy eating. Yeah. Yeah. I know. No, I was about to say, so you guys are gonna have to be chewing. Here, try the, the uh, try the everything. Mm. Um, swap me out. Yeah. Um, sorry, guys, we're eating bagels. I know. Um, <laughs> I well, should I should have brought some some cream cheese and locks. I no, you got to taste them on their own. You got to like yeah, taste yeah, the, the purity. I do literally eat at least one a day, like uh, probably on average two a day, but <laughs> at least one a day. I mean, you ha- you know, I, I want to make sure it's that quality that, control. Yeah, mm-hmm. it totally is, and I always eat a plain one in the morning because I really am quality controlling as, as much as we're joking around about it. That is something I do. I'm, I'm one of the <laughs> indicators of, uh, of a really good bagel. Yeah. When like. you're, what, what are you looking for? Yeah. yeah I mean, there, so there's two things that I'm, I'm testing is one, the dough maker, if he put enough salt and if he forgot the malt, if he didn't put enough honey, and then also I'm, I'm checking the baker. So whether the bakers, cause the thing with the wood oven too, the temperature is always up and down. It's never a perfect, you know, 375 degrees, it, it's constantly up and down. So I'm making sure that the crust is right, that the inside dough isn't raw, that they're leaving it in the kettle long enough. So especially with bagels, there's definitely a lot more factors than, than making a, a simple Kaiser roll or something like that. You talked yeah. a little bit when we were at lunch um, that when the black seed idea first came about, there wasn't a ton of these artisanal bagel shops the way they are now. Mm-hmm. Um how was it like, you know, entering the market like that where some people are used to paying a dollar for their bagel and saying, hey, we're coming in with this specialty product. It's a little different and not only educating the customer, getting the customer used to that and also being able to be attuned to what the customer wants. Right. Well, I think one, just like pizza, bagels are synonymous with New York. So we were bringing a bagel to a place that already has a plethora of bagels, you know, which I think is kind of crazy once you think about, you know, (laughs) yeah, you know, it's not like we're bringing something brand new where people are like, oh, my God, what is that? It's like we're going to a place where people already have so many opinions about it. Mm -hmm. And it's also something that people are so nostalgic about, you know. So it was very scary when we first opened the doors, you know. Luckily, um, my two partners, Matt and Noah, um, are very well in tune with the industry. They also themselves, they, they have a plethora of restaurants between the two of them. But, you know, they, they kind of saw the, this this hole in the bagel world, just, you know, their H&H closed down for a minute. There was really nothing even downtown, everything, besides Rust and Daughters, you know, Rust and Daughters will always be there, but all, all of a sudden there weren't any bagel shops. So they were like, let's just do this, right? And once we opened the doors we weren't we didn't know you know you when you open something you don't know how it's gonna go and luckily people really received it really well and I think our the thing we did right was we tried to focus on the bagel we didn't go too big in the beginning we we really you know we didn't really even have pastries at the time we just did the bagel um and the cream cheese in the beginning we did our own cream cheese but that even got too too much where we're just like let's just focus on the one thing and then obviously it became a hit and um i think the hardest thing was like you said having a higher price point and justifying it to people but i think they got the message you know the minute you walk into black sea you really can feel the difference this the specialness of Mm -hmm. it you know there's the walnut wood the marble um you know just we're a little bit younger of a staff too so it's 
you know, you can feel the difference. And when did the hot, um, the hot sandwiches and the hot um, items come into play? Yeah, so in the beginning, um, we were trying to be more of an appetizing shop, like Russ and Daughters. Um, and, you know, obviously as people came in, a lot of them would come in hungover being <laughs> like, hey, man, we want a bacon, egg, and cheese or sausage, egg, and cheese. And we're like, oh, we're not that kind of shop. And we're slowly noticing people weren't, you know, they're like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the local bodega and get what I want. So, you know, you kind of have to, to bend and fold to what your customers want. And I think maybe like three months after we opened, I'm like, all right, I'm going to make this happen. So we didn't have a griddle, griddle at first. I We were literally making um, baked eggs and, and cheese out of our wood oven, oh, which wow. became intense. <laughs> yeah, because we only have really one bagel roller and one baker so you're trying to pull bagels out with egg and cheese and you can get really intense but we finally got a griddle and kind of changed our model into more of a sandwich based place so um and uh can you share a little bit about what the what skills you learned in your earlier career that then influenced or, or supported your success in in your bagel career yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry it's <laughs> just a funny question um so yeah i mean I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, sometimes I wish I would have figured this out earlier. Um, but I think... Figured what out earlier? That I should be, <laughs> that I should be <laughs> cooking instead of spending uh, four or five years of my life in, um, in the office doing a nine-to-five. It wasn't even nine-to-five. It was, it was crazy hours. It was more like nine to midnight half the time. But, um, you know, I, I think the skills that I really appreciate that I got from advertising was the fact that I can easily speak to to you guys, for instance, and not be so awkward. Majority of my chef friends are very, very awkward in person, you know? <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why they're in the back of the house and not, you know, necessarily serving and making triple the amount of money. Um, and, you know, that and also just the business end of things, really knowing how to conduct myself in a business meeting, knowing the proper questions to ask, just the proper etiquette in general that now... As somebody that has to make these decisions, I appreciate so much because I'm I'm not awkwardly asking them the wrong questions and not having the the proper et- business etiquette. Can you talk a little bit more about that balancing the front of house side and yeah. the back of house side? I mean, you've had both um, jobs yeah. and now also have to oversee both jobs, mm-hmm. um, making sure. And there's always so much contention between the front of house and back of house in the food industry and how do you kind of even that out under your leadership? Yeah, I mean, since I do have both sides, I, I get both both sides of the coin, you know. I get why, you know, cooks really feel unappreciated because they are making, if not half, pro- probably a tr- triple as less. I don't even know if I worded that right. <laughs> but, you know, so servers make amazing tips. And when you're a cook only making, you know, obviously it's different now, but back then it was like when you're making nine fifty an hour in a a server just came in for a six hour shift and left with $300, yeah. you know, you're gonna, and then come in like, you know, we're saying at lunch and eat your mise en place that <laughs> yes. you spent the whole morning making. <laughs> it, it gets frustrating, but I think what, you know, us as cooks and chefs need to understand is they're the, the servers in the front of the house are also part of the experience and they're essentially yeah. selling your food. You know, they're selling what you're creating and, if you don't have that respect for them, they're not going to sell your food and not represent what you're creating in a proper way. So I think it is really important. I mean, I, I do, I think it's becoming definitely better with the whole minimum wage um, mm-hmm. hike and, you know, this whole no tipping thing, even though I know a lot of people are, are still um, not on that bandwagon. But I think things are becoming a little bit more equal. But, uh, you know, I think I think it's just important to cultivate a culture where, everything is a yin and yang essentially yeah and it, yeah. i mean it often it also taps into questions of of language and race and documentation yep, and right, right who's in the back of the house and i i my my totally off off the top of my head estimate is what like two-thirds or three-quarters of the restaurants in new york city um are run by undocumented mm-hmm. cooks yeah, and absolutely. there's not a lot of appreciation for for their skill set for their commitment for the the expertise and then the, the servers who, you know, waltz in and speak English really well mm-hmm. make all the money. Um, and it's hard for them to convey how much time and effort and energy they put in because there is that language gap. Yeah. And you, it's hard to, for them to surface any concerns or problems that they're yeah. having. Or they're, or they're scared to, to yeah. express any concerns because they are undocumented workers and they are, you know, needing this paycheck to support their family and their extended family, you know, so... 
and and you were saying um, for some of the workers that you uh, the employees that you have now, like how do you motivate them? And if you know, perhaps bagel is not their their calling in right. life um, versus some of the cooks that you will find at fine dining places, making sure that they're still part of that teamwork. Right. Yeah. So, so again, since since you know we are a bagel shop, I'm not going to have those. Um, aspiring Michelin star chefs. Majority of my employees are all either college kids or people that, you know, have families and that are just trying to look to pay a bill and fulfill their their bank accounts. And there's nothing wrong with that. We're a bagel shop. You know, I'm not expecting these, you know, aspiring chefs to come in. The biggest thing I do is, one, I try to get them to really understand the business end. Because even if you're not an aspiring chef or a restaurateur, you're always going to be interested on how a business is run, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to want to understand how they can apply the things they learn at Black Seed into their lives or also help them start their own business. Um, So, one, I I try to really – I don't just leave things, you know, this is what I say and that's the end of it. I try to explain to them that this is how it – helps the business and this is how they can actually make their business because I also have a lot of artists and things like that that um you know want to start their own businesses so I try to inspire them by letting them understand mainly the business aspect but also you know just um I'm really fortunate that all the employees at Black Seed at each location are like families within themselves so if anything they really lean on each other to really get motivated and they don't want to disappoint you know and I tell people I really try to play a more maternal part um, in my kitchen where I, I'm not a yeller. I don't um, reprimand people by embarrassing them. I really pull them aside and try to teach them if they did do something wrong, that this is how they need to correct it and why they did it wrong, you know. So I just think it's, um, as a female chef, I really think it's more important to play off my more feminine traits again. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think it's a bad thing that I'm that I do cry. They've seen me cry probably plenty of times. And, you know, and I don't think that's a weakness at all. They understand that I, I actually care. And I think it's, it's a positive thing, you know. Yeah, it's your business at the end of the line and yeah. you care about it. That's Absolutely, a good yeah. Thing. And do you think they have different expectations of you as a woman chef than they would if, if, the, <clears throat> if they're working under a man? Absolutely, yeah. Um, we actually recently hired a male director of operations um, and I can just even see the differences of, of the way they treat them. And, I, and, and not necessarily in a bad way, but I can see that they're um, more forward with letting me know their problems as opposed to feeling like they would, that if they went to a male chef, that a male chef might think it's a weakness, right? Mm-hmm. To have family issues or to not feel positive that day or whatever. I, I mean, I guess sometimes that, that can be a little hard on me because. You know, there's some days, not that I don't care, but there's some days I'm like, okay, there's bigger issues than that. I don't say that to them, but, you know, but I'm glad that they can feel that they can come up to me and really express any issues that they have as opposed to feeling like I might think it's a weakness. You know, they're just like, she actually cares and will understand as opposed to just being angry about something. Yeah. You know, I think that's huge. Yeah. Um, with that, I think we'll take a short break. I'm going to eat some bagels. Okay, yeah. I have, like, I've made a huge mess next to me, but um, and we'll be back in a few. Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin Cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious, stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, 
made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Sirchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satori's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. But nobody grows A slap in the mouth and a push off a cliff. Welcome back. Uh, today we're with the uh, head baker and executive chef of Black Seed Bagels, uh, Diana, Diana Dahong. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about leadership skills, how to cultivate the emotional intelligence needed to run a kitchen. And uh, can you also tell us a little bit about transitioning to the business side of things? As you were working in the back of house, um, making the bagel program like a, a reality, mm-hmm. but also now having a look at costs and vendors and all of that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, at, at first it was a little scary. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie, because it's it's a lot to, you know, think about where you're literally starting to think about which which paper napkin to use. <laughs> it's point one cents lower than this one, but you know, all these little pennies, especially in New York City, make a difference. So if anything, I really enjoy it in, in this um in this part of my life, you know, being in my mid thirties, it's it's I luckily started to apply a lot of these practices I use in the restaurant to my personal life. And lo and behold my my bank is a lot <laughs> after and you know my my life might be a lot um you know less filled with stuff but you know I, I think it's really important especially as a chef to really understand the business end of things and to really be um competitive with what vendors you use and you know and again even even what products because you don't want to go too low with your products but you something like black seed you can't necessarily buy the most premium product so um, you know, and also with the the New York state laws are constantly changing. And yeah. to me, this was my first business that I really got to spearhead and run. And it was important for me to really understand all the employees' rights and laws. And literally, they're constantly changing. Man, it's, mm-hmm. it's unbelievable how in six months, you know, something else pops up. And it's my biggest fear to have an employee um, look back at their life at Black Seed and feel like they were ever treated unfairly. Um, so it's really important to me in the business side, one, not just for the money's sake, but for also those employees, you know, it's, we, we don't make that much money at Black Seed just because, you know, of the program we run. But to me, I don't think of it as necessarily a, a money making business. I think of it as something that can supply all these people with really great fulfilling jobs, you know, so... How are you guys dealing with um, the minimum wage increase and um, like your thoughts on the no tipping, as you mentioned earlier? Um, We're hurting. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. We're hurting because also um, at Black Seed, it's we don't we don't take a tip credit. So um, for those of you that don't know what a tip credit is, it allows you to pay, for instance, servers a lot less because you're getting two hundred dollars in tips at the night. So you don't have to make that thirteen dollar minimum wage. But at a shop like Black Seed, you're not. Um, really making that much money to make that balance a minimum wage. So we literally had to give everyone across the board uh, a bump to $13, which, you know, which I am all for. I get it. We live in New York City. People need to make living wages. It's very important that things like this happen. However, as as a business, you know, you have to start raising your prices. You have to start, you know, making cuts elsewhere. Again, not necessarily with the food, but paper napkins, um, mm-hmm. things like that. But, you, you know, we're, we're still trying to really, it's only the third month in with that wage hike, and we're really trying to figure out ways that we don't have to necessarily raise our prices too much, um, you know, and just really try to find sales elsewhere, either through catering or all these other new um, business ventures like food, like, you know, like Gold Belly, which is a food delivery service program. Um, luckily, we, we live in a time where there are these technologies that can allow your business to expand elsewhere besides the typical brick and mortar. 
So I think those are the things that we're, we're trying to change so we don't have to necessarily um, bring up our prices. But inevitably, I think it's going to happen. You know, next year it goes up to $15, um, which is definitely going to hurt a lot. I mean, if you look in January, there was all these restaurants that shut down. Yeah. And it's not it's not by mistake. It's I think the general public that aren't in the industry really need to understand the effects of this minimum wage increase. So, and have you seen a, a difference in the commitment of your employees, or has their approach changed with the with the <clears throat> wage increase? Yes and no. Um, I think one with Blacks, we already started them off at a, a, a really fair wage. Um, you know, again, I think with quality pay comes quality workers. Um, you know, I think you you see brands like uh, Walmart and Target also raise their. Of um, recently, I think Target went to their minimum wage being 13 um, all across America, not just in New York City, you know, and I really do believe in that quality pay brings quality workers. So, um, you know, I I think if anything, they might feel a little bit more entitled to another raise because those, I think the biggest thing that hurt us was obviously those that were already making 13, you know, to, to them that was more of an hourly wage, but now that the lowest guy in the the totem pole is making thirteen. You know they're expecting more raises. So, but luckily, I, I real feel really great about the staff I do have, and they're appreciative and and, and understand. I, I think we were really transparent about it with them, letting them know that this increase isn't easy for us as a business. Again, the way I motivate them is to be really transparent about the business and let them understand that we're not making as much as they think, even though we might have a line down the street and around the corner. It's, it's not as, you know, money making as they would think, especially with rent and minimum wage being so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you did say earlier about, um, we were talking earlier about the James Beard nomination and like Mm -hmm. part of that is also telling them and making them realize like how big of a deal that was and helping. Yeah. It helps motivate them as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, you know, I think you might've missed the conversation that we're having while we were waiting to get into this uh, recording room was, you know, I don't have a staff that, you know, is necessarily super culinary educated and, two years in a row, you know, I got nominated for outstanding baker, but it's totally not me. It's, it's my employees. I, I definitely come up with the recipes and oversee them, but they're really the ones sweating on the oven. So I, I wish I could change it to outstanding baker, black seed bagels instead of my name. Like I don't even feel right that it's in my name, but I was trying to explain it to them and they're like, Oh cool. And I was like, no, 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 this is like the Grammys. of chefs. I'm like, chefs really don't care about many other things. I don't really care about being on food. I don't want to knock on Food Network, but you know, I mean, it's not like that big of a deal anymore for us to be on Food Network or to be on the travel channel, but to be James, you're nominated is like, I I still don't even know how it happened. Can you tell us more about recipes and the R&D process? I mean, I saw on Instagram there's like a beet bagel happening, like just how you come up with ideas and also um, as we're talking about business, balancing the creativity and the business aspect of things. Yeah, um, so with research and development stuff, um, one, I definitely try to take a nod to a lot of old school stuff. So I'll kind of look at older recipes and, you know, especially knowing the science of bread and things that you do to change and manipulate the texture and flavors on um, that. I always start off with like basic recipe researching, you know, and I'll take like a whole group of them and just see what I like and don't like about them. And then two, um, you know, we do a lot of chef collaboration. So a lot of times, uh, you know, well, I'll just sit around with the chef and shoot the shit with them. Am I allowed to curse on this side? Yeah, yeah, I was totally. gonna say, shoot the bird with them. <laughs> Sorry, it's a natural kitchen language that I have. Um, so we'll just like throw back and forth uh, ideas. And a lot of times it's just literally sitting around with your friends and getting stoned and just being like, oh man, wouldn't it be a great idea if this and this happened? And then it's so good. Yeah, and then you try it at home and you're like, either like, oh God, never again, or like, let's do this. This is awesome. Um, and then for the business aspect, I think it's important to kind of stay on brand because obviously, you know, all, all chefs can do all kinds of foods and whatever. But if you're not doing something that's kind of true to the restaurant that you're actually running, it's going to flop. You know what I mean? It do, it's not going to make sense for me to all of a sudden add a, a T-bone steak on the menu. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you have to do something that the consumers are, are wanting. Um, you know, at lunch, I was telling you guys about this gluten-free thing. Mm-hmm. And at first, for the first three, four years, I was like, no, no, no way, no way in hell am I ever going to. Why are you so opposed to it? 
It's a gluten-free bagel. <laughs> Bagels are supposed to be filled with gluten. If anything, it's the most glutinous bread in the bunch. Yeah. But anyway, so we just ha- kind of had to do it because so many consumers were it. And I don't want to hate on the whole gluten-free thing. I get it. And I actually do like some gluten-free pro- um, products. But it's it's just really trying to get um, products that consumers are, one, expecting, but also to, um, to, to elevate it a little bit more, you know. What would you say is the Black Seed Bagel like brand ethos? Is that something um, you and the partners like thought about, talked about like from the get go, or something that just kind of developed naturally? Yeah, I, I think um, there's always a starting ethos, right? In any business, you have an idea of how you want the business to go and run, but it obviously develops over time. Um, in the beginning, our, our our main ethos, I guess, was to just really have a good quality bagel. I think that was our main focus. And I think as time developed, um, you know, we started getting a personality. You know, we started becoming, I hate this word, but a hipster bagel shop. <laughs> you know, we do have Marshall amplifier speakers. We do play, you know, hip hop every once in a while. We do play music that's, you know, now we are covered with walnut wood and marble. Um, so I, I, if anything, I think our ethos is just, again, having a good quality bagel. That's always going to be our main thing, but also just all around good, good food and, and, you know, um, true service, not necessarily that fake, you know, airline stewardess voice service, but you're going to get real New Yorkers that are running the register <laughs> and real New Yorkers that are making the bagels. Um, and also something that's attainable to everybody. You know, I'm not trying to hate on Stell's. They're awesome. They're, that's, their service is impeccable. Mm-hmm. Their presentation is amazing, but that's not us. You know, mm-hmm. we want you to be able to still come in your PJs and feel like you can get a bagel. Or if you want to come dress up, you can still feel like there's a place for you, you know. And, and how have you um, sort of put yourself in, into the bagels that you cook in terms of the flavors, the toppings, the style, or even in, into, the, as Jenny was asking earlier, about the, the, the brand ethos overall? What, what part of that is you when we walk into, into Oh, man, so much of it. <laughs> my, I mean, the, my partners obviously did um, start the idea, and we the three of us really worked together. They, a lot of their design elements are into it, but then... Um, once they kind of, you know, are like, all right, you can do your thing. We, we trust you now. Um, for instance, all the, all the handwritten signage is myself and my best friend that did it. <laughs> so the, the music um, that's playing, the, just the, the general attitudes of my staff, a lot of the training um, that's gone into that, you know, is myself. Because um, like I said, when we first started, it really wasn't, we didn't really have layers and layers upon upper management it was literally myself doing the front and the back so I really tried to run things how I I, I would want to be presented if I was a customer um, and as far as the food goes I mean the thing with the bagel shop is especially in New York you gotta you gotta always have the classics you know you mm-hmm. always gotta have your your smoked salmon your scallion cream cheese um, I, and we don't do anything outrageous we never will have a unicorn bagel we'll never do anything (laughs) that's cotton candy filled um i'm very traditional when it comes to my flavors and things like that so i think in that respect um that that probably is part of me that you know things are traditional whether it's jewish traditional or whether it's new york traditional you know yeah and and stepping into the the role of a co-owner which has happened over the last couple of right. years yeah. can you tell Sw- us about Sw- that Sw- equity yeah. partner um you know i, I think I, I love my partners matt and noah are, are wonderful and so they saw they saw how much work and how much love and i really didn't just take the job as as a chef and had it that they saw that I literally cared about every single aspect. I literally would be working 18 hours a day, never complaining. Um, and once they saw that, they're like, oh man, we, we need to keep her around. And how <laughs> we do that is make her a, a, a partner, you know? So it's been, it's been great to even be offered that kind of, that, that opportunity. And how has it changed the way you engage with the business? Um, I, I think the main reason why they gave me is because I, I, I've always had that mentality. I never, you know, whatever job I've had, I've always tried to play like it was my own. So even if I was a a basic floor manager, I always acted as if it was my restaurant. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the only way you're ever going to 
care or move forward with anything if you really take ownership to it. So I think not much has changed. I think the only thing that has changed is how much I'm looking at the numbers. Again, you know, mm-hmm. looking at what fork to use because it's a little bit cheaper, but not necessarily down in quality and really more um, working with my vendors more and trying to haggle them for cheaper prices, if yeah. anything. Yeah. <laughs> I, we, I, go ahead. <laughs> I am just curious. What has been your favorite collaboration so far? Oh, man. Uh, um, <laughs> There's been so many, but I, I did love working with um, Danny Bowen with Mission Chinese. He is one chef I definitely look up to. He's he's mad chill. He's he's so <laughs> chill. It's um, unbelievable. I'm like, how are you so c- successful? But you just seem like you're like on Xanax the whole time. <laughs> not not like he's dismissive, but he's just like like just his energy. The minute he walked in, he didn't even have to say anything. I'm like, man, you're so cool. <laughs> and then he was just really. Um, even though he he picked a Birago ham, which is ninety nine dollars a pound, <laughs> um, that that was a little far fetched. But he was just really fun to collaborate with, and he he was a cool dude. Yeah, awesome. I think for our last uh, few minutes, we mm-hmm. go. Oh wait. Well, I no, wanted no, to no. before we go go into our, uh, our 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 quick question round. I wanted to, a rapid fire round. I wanted to ask a little bit about appropriation. Mm-hmm. We, this is something that we talk about. I don't know pretty regularly on the podcast yes. and have discussed with other guests and. Often we're talking about white chefs cooking food from the rest of the world, mm-hmm. and in your case, it's uh, going in the other direction, right? Yeah. Your your parents are Thai. You're telling us over lunch, but and you're cooking pretty typical New York or or Jewish food. Right. So how do you see uh, how do how do you see that? How do you think about that relationship that your your background and your upbringing has with the food that you're cooking? Yeah, I, I mean. Especially in New York, I, I see that happen all the time, right? Like Andy Richter cooking Thai food, mm-hmm. and like you were saying, me cooking pretty much Jewish food. And also, since I worked at MyLN, most of my experience that actually has been Jewish food. Um, I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome because you can t- totally take, you know, my, your traditional ideas and transform them into a different cuisine. You know, just there's so many. Um, similarities but not similarities that you can use you know a lot of times for instance um you know not necessarily with my cooking at black seed or um at mile end but a lot of times you know when things call for anchovies i'll use fish sauce Mm -hmm. because you know especially if it's like something where you're just just using the anchovies for flavor you know i think there's so many um ingredients that are interchangeable and so many um things that you could help make better in one cuisine um, you know what I mean? For instance, like wok cooking. Wok cooking isn't something that you necessarily see in Jewish food, but, you know, y- you could easily fry an awesome breaded smoked salmon in, in a wok fryer, and it turns out awesome. So I think it's just really finding a middle ground of, of you know, t- taking the things that you've learned culturally from your background, but, you know, kind of translating it into another cuisine. So I think it's amazing that so many chefs are going outside of their spectrum. How do you feel about the term fusion? (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's very 90s. (laughs) Very 90s. Um, I mean, I get it. I I wish there was. I mean, there has to be a better word for it. I just hope somebody comes up with it sooner or later. It's so 90s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and it always is preceded by Asian. I don't know yeah. why. <laughs> yeah, always. dude. Just call it like a mix or like, I don't know. It's too, we're in New York City. Like everything is a cultural mix, not just food, art, music. Everything is a cultural mix. So it's like, I think it's almost um, a question that sh- should be obsolete at this point you know i'm not trying to hate on you guys for using because it makes sense <laughs> but you know what i mean it, it's like a no, no duh thing now no nobody is like a hundred percent anything really anymore yeah. right yeah for sure <laughs> yeah it's just complicated i think to try and find that balance of like doing something respectfully learn no and knowing how to take an inspiration without being like this is what we do yeah yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. All right, let's well, do some uh, some rapid fire yay, questions. My favorite. Go, go. You start. Um, what did you eat for lunch as a kid growing up? Oh man, um, sticky rice with <laughs> with either a uh, mashed hard boiled egg and fish sauce. I know that sounds really <laughs> weird, but that's something that my mom would always do. 
or I mean, we always got free lunch too because you know my parents were like factory workers, so we we always did the free lunch thing at, if it was at school. But if it was home, like I said, sticky rice with um, a hard boiled egg and, and fish sauce, like in the hard boiled egg. Was the sticky rice cooked in coconut milk? Or no, just no, plain? it's just plain. Yeah. Um, what is your spirit animal? Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> I would say probably a, a whale. <laughs> I like to eat a lot and sleep a lot, and I love the ocean, and I, I love traveling too. So and and maybe uh, shellfish, plankton. Yeah, right? sure. I love when plankton <laughs> feed on me. <laughs> um, how do you like your eggs? Um, that I lo- I love my eggs in every single way, but probably poached m- mainly. Yeah. W- what is it about a poached egg? I love just that runny. Uh, eggs are my favorite food, by the oh, way. Wow. That's like I think I really do believe that they're the incredible edible egg. <laughs> <laughs> they're just amazing because you can do so many things with them. Um, but mainly poached because like the runniness of it, and you can still really get so many different. I I mean, my least favorite is a uh, overcooked egg. Mm. That's the one thing mm-hmm. that sometimes I. Like, that is the one thing I will yell at my line cooks for. <laughs> that That's <laughs> unacceptable. Yeah, it's absolutely unacceptable. A major pet peeve, like one major pet peeve at restaurants. Oh, besides overcooked eggs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I already <laughs> named it. Um, man, I guess not being acknowledged. Like when you go mm-hmm. somewhere, it's, and it's not like I'm, exp- I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not a demanding person when it comes to restaurants, but when people don't even say like, hey, I'll be with you a woman, or just mm-hmm. even like a, a head nod, just to acknowledge you're there. Like that's all, you know, that's, it's a hospitality. At least say hi. Yeah. Um, if you could master any skill overnight, what would it be? <laughs> we should have prepped you on these yeah, questions. Seriously, <laughs> why didn't you guys warn me? I didn't know I needed. Um, if I could master any skill, it, it would probably be playing the piano. I hate oh. to sound so stereotypically Asian, <laughs> but that's just something that I always think is like beautiful, and, and to be able to read music in particular and to translate it on the piano, I think is cool. What kind of music would you want to play? Oh man. <laughs> um, Probably jazz. I think jazz would be cool on the piano. Do you feel like, maybe this is too far-fetched, do you feel like there's a a musical style that most closely reflects your cooking? Oh, man. Um, Probably reggae, because it's super, like, laid back and, like, super islandy. Like, you know, I don't know if you guys ever had the pleasure of going to Thailand, but it's, you know, Mm -hmm. super tropical. Everything's super laid back. I always call it, like, the Jamaica of Asia, because, like, (laughs) everybody's just about partying and, like, eating and chilling on the beach and you know so yeah when whenever I I cook I I try to stress to people when they get panicked about something I'm like it's only food man we're not saving anybody's Mm. life it's okay if you burn things every once in a while not all the time obviously (laughs) but (laughs) you know it's it's I'm a pretty laid-back person when it comes to that what last meal you could eat before and like you die oh man um last meal I could eat before I die Probably sticky rice <laughs> with papaya salad, and my mom makes this awesome, um, basically fried chicken, but it's not coated with bread. It's co- coated with um, uh, fried shallots. Oh. So she'll literally, and she'll walk fry it. She'll dip dip the chicken in, in egg batter, and then take fried shallots and like cr- crush them up, and then deep fry so it with good. that. It's that money. Yeah, that sounds so good. Yeah, yeah. can you bring that to Boston? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'll be my next chef collab with my mom. <laughs> um, do you have a, a favorite Thai spot in New York, or a couple of favorite Thai spots? Um, unfortunately, I, I don't get to venture out as much because I just have crazy hours. I literally like wake up at four a.m. every day. But honestly, I think um, I think Andy Richter does an amazing job at Pok Pok. He really, I mean, I think it's probably his style of cooking too, because my family's from Northern Thailand. Mm-hmm. And a lot of his inspiration is from Northern Thailand. So I really respect his food. And he he does it great for a white boy, right? <laughs> That's what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and then Uncle Un- Uncle Boone's. Oh, yeah. they, they're great. Mm-hmm. They're cool. I, and I like that they do take something traditional and put little twists here and there. But if anything, I think Pak Pak does try to keep it pretty traditional. Yeah. He's really strict with his recipes. I trailed there once, and I was really amazed at how he wouldn't not let any of his cooks like just freehand his spices. He would literally have oh. a specific ladle um, measured out for each spice and each sauce. It was amazing. 
yeah, I think that's why everybody respects him too, because he really does try to keep things like super traditional. And uh, do you have any advice for an aspiring baker, somebody looking to make the kind of career change that you you've made? Yeah, just hard work, man. Like you know, like we were saying um, earlier while we were waiting to get into this room, is one don't expect to be that executive chef overnight. You know, peel those onions for how many ever <laughs> weeks you get to, and. You know, I think the the more you do it out of love and not expecting to ever, you know, I, I never expected to even get nominated or mentioned for James Beard, nor be on this radio show. I always just like put my <laughs> head. Very, to, yeah. yeah, you're very <laughs> highly, you know, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. why would you guys even want to talk to me? That's how I looked at yeah. it. When you guys emailed me, I'm like, what? Why? Why? You know, forgetting that, like. You know, Black Seed is known and that it's awesome. So if anything, don't ever do this to become famous. Don't ever do it because you think you're going to be rich. Do it because you genuinely love cooking and, and go after it. And if you just keep your head down and focus and work your butt off, hopefully you'll get there. I don't know. I, yeah. I think I also have really awesome luck for some reason because I don't think I'm doing anything that crazy different. You know, yeah. think you make your own luck, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true too. Jenny and Absolutely. I were nodding very enthusiastically during that whole. I think <laughs> yeah. we, we have each seen uh, the the value of hard work and and uh, not being rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the restaurant industry yeah, for yeah, you, yeah. not being rich. rich. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, um, could you tell our, our view or listeners? I would say viewers um, <laughs> where to find you again. Um, and yeah, different lo- your different locations. Yeah, yeah. The city. so obviously Black Sea Bagels. Um, we are located in Battery Park in the Hudson Eats. Um, our very first location was on Elizabeth and Spring in Nolita. And then our last location, which is about two years old, is in the East Village on First Avenue and 10th. And um, we probably will have a couple coming up very shortly. Ooh. Keep your keep your ears and eyes open. <laughs> and where yeah. do they find you on social? Um, so it's, it's a play off of dough. So it's <laughs> <laughs> dough underscore uh, so it's it's you'll figure it out just just check on on your yours and you can tag me yeah, on well, there we'll i hate you. i hate pushing myself <laughs> to <laughs> i'm very shy we'll, we'll put stuff. it on the uh, on yeah. the waifu food instagram and yeah Facebook exactly pages. yes yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you all for listening today, and thank you again for being here so much. Um, if you have any more questions for Diana, um, comments, thoughts, please email us at uh, yfood at heritageradio.org. And we also want to thank um, our theme song, Blind by the Red, Red Crickets. Crickets, and our engineer, <laughs> David Tadashore, and Diana for bringing these amazing bagels, which I'm going to be eating all Yeah, I'll be eating. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, see you next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. All the time.